I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. We, we do have a way of actually affecting the economies of those farmers that are involved in growing our coffee. Hmm, you have my attention. Yes. You know, there's a way of making that linkage, even though we're thousands of miles away from those plantations. And this morning we have on the line with us someone who's actually worked very hard and very effectively to make fair wages a part of our coffee culture. And wouldn't you know that Lee Wallace is the CEO, and as they call her, the Queen Bean of Peace (laughs) Coffee, which is located in, of all places, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Good morning, Lee. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. Lee, you know, it is so interesting for me, and it's such a gift when uh, so many of the guests that we have on our line sometimes are, are, are new acquaintances. But man, Lee, as I was looking into this topic and as you and I for had a first chat, it turns out that we've known each other. Isn't that true? It's true. We met 20 years ago when I was interning at a wonderful organization that you were involved with. That's right, the Midwest Organic Alliance, which was an effort, it was a nonprofit, in order to help bring organic product into the mainstream. In the Twin Cities area. Yep. And and my job as an intern was to go out and put shelf tags on organic products. And I talked to people who owned or worked for a variety of different kinds of grocery stores and and, uh, helped spread the message about how to get more consumers interested in organic products. Well, isn't it interesting how our, our lives kind of got spiral around and we get to, to meet with one another again? I'm so glad about that. Thank you for helping me make that connection, Lee. Now, you are the CEO of Peace Coffee, and you've been at the helm of that organization for 10 years. In order for people to kind of get a notion of, of where we're going with our conversation, can first you define for us what fair trade means when it comes to coffee? Fair trade is about focusing on the majority of the world's coffee farmers, first and foremost. So most coffee farmers own very, very small pieces of land, and one coffee plant only produces about a pound of coffee per year. So we're talking about farmers who are producing small amounts of product every year and face a lot of barriers in getting that product to market. So they join together in co-ops. They join together in co-ops so they can jointly market their product. And we buy only coffee from fair trade co-ops located throughout the world. So that's one of the big pieces. The other piece about fair trade is about direct, open, transparent business relationships. And the, the final part about fair trade, I would say, is about assuring a livable wage for the farmer. Coffee has been a consumed worldwide for hundreds and hundreds of years. Is that true? Yeah. Coffee was originally discovered in Ethiopia and spread around the world from there. All right. And it is a huge industry. Uh, The U.S. is a major market. I think we're at about $30 billion a year 
Coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world. So oil is number one, and then coffee is number two. So this is a gigantic business. Oh, my gosh. So we've got like two forms of black gold, huh? The majority of the coffee uh, consumed in the world for a very long time has been what, what I think of as sort of your grandmother's coffee. So it's Folgers, um, products like that, coffee that traditionally came in cans. They got everybody going. You can think of all of the iconic jingles and commercials from when we were all growing up. You bet. In, in the past year, what I call specialty coffee has begun to dominate the landscape. So 51% of all cups of coffee sold in the United States in 2015 were specialty coffee for the first time ever. And that's everyone from Starbucks down to people like Peak Coffee. That is an amazing shift because um, in, a, in an interview that uh, my husband actually listened to earlier this week about transportation, how, how far food travels, one of the things that was mentioned was the transportation of coffee. And it, it talked about, uh, this person talked about that whole notion of coffee in a can. And uh, you tell me if I'm wrong here, Lee, but coffee is a product that once it's roasted, it, it begins to degas. In other words, it emits gases. And if you put that kind of coffee into a can, it will cause the can to explode. And so in those years where a can in a, a coffee in a can rather became really popular, what they had to do, what the manufacturer had to do is actually let the coffee go stale, quit degassing, so that they could put it into a can and it could actually have a long shelf life. So my thought is, Americans grew up being very much accustomed to the taste of stale coffee. That's right. I think for a long time, coffee was a jolt to get you going. It wasn't something to be savored. Ah. Uh, I, and, and, you know, I frequently say to people, coffee stales as quickly as bread. That's oh. the way you should think about your coffee. So it is a highly perishable product. And in our facility and, and in many facilities like ours, we really focus on getting that coffee bagged as quickly as possible. And all of our bags have one-way valves on them that allow that gas to leave but protect the coffee from oxygen. So if, if you're drinking coffee from something that does not have a valve in it, then you know that it's been failed prior to packaging. You know, when you said that 51% of the U.S. market is now into specialty coffees, that's why, it, to me, it sort of uh, sent up a flag that said, wow, things have changed. People are becoming more and more used to the taste of good coffee. And I think as people have gotten more interested in the taste of good coffee, then they've, they've followed the path and begun thinking about where does coffee come from. So... You know, Peach Coffee started talking about where your coffee comes from during a time when many people weren't thinking about that and weren't wondering about the faith behind who grows their cup of coffee. And that was, we were on the, in the beginning of, of coffee starting to really say to people, hey, this isn't a commodity. This isn't a commodity product or shouldn't be viewed as a commodity product. You should think about who produces this cup of coffee. There's a real faith. There's a real farmer's family behind it. And let, me let us tell you that story. One of the things that strikes me about Peace Coffee is the fact that not only have you got these commitments to you know, great flavor and fair wages to the people who grow coffee on these smaller plantations all across the world, 
But you actually had to uh, develop an entirely new kind of business model in order to do this because it's so outside of the large corporate conventional business model for coffee. Can you describe how it is that Peace Coffee began? Peace Coffee began out of conversations with coffee farmers. So an interesting thing about our business is that we are a for-profit company, but we are owned by a nonprofit trade policy organization. That nonprofit trade policy group is called the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Was talking with coffee farmers in the mid-90s, and they were asking those coffee farmers how to make their work more relevant to them. And the coffee farmers responded by saying, trade policies, great work, but very abstract to us because we're worrying first and foremost about how to feed our family, how to send our kids to school, how, how to have a sustainable livelihood. And they suggested to these trade policy folks, we would like you to focus on markets. Trade policy folks said, ah, we're nonprofit people, we're not entrepreneurs, let's get back to the topic at hand. Well, this conversation went back and forth, parties went their separate ways. About a month later, the Port of Los Angeles calls, and someone at this nonprofit answered the phone, and the Port of Los Angeles said, we have 38,000 pounds of coffee that's been sent to you from Mexico here. How would you like us to get it to Minneapolis? All right, so this was a call out of the blue? This was a call out of the blue, yep. And so... These folks, you know, good folks, they said, we're in the business of helping farmers who can't send this coffee back. And they reached into their own pockets, found the money to buy that first shipping container of coffee, and started a business completely accidentally. It was green beans, so we had to go out and find someone to roast it. We had to figure out packaging, and then a lot of that coffee was sold one pound at a time. Oh, my gosh. So so did, a, did like, a little group of, of entrepreneurial-type people sort of get together to do this, or did you actually reach out to maybe another business in order to help make this happen? You know, churches were really good partners earlier on. A lot of the faith community came together around this idea of fair trade. Um, and there were a lot of good neighbors who helped buy that coffee. Holy macaroni. So this was in the mid-1990s? Yes. Right. Okay. What happened after that? I mean, how did this grow from an accident to a real business? You know, we just kept putting one foot in front of the other. Our story is one of being extremely resourceful, being extremely lucky, and being extremely passionate. I think it's those three things. We didn't have a lot of resources to begin with, and so we would just go out, go to community festivals, hand out coffee, and just talk to people about what our beliefs were, got them to taste the coffee, got them to taste how delicious it was. And as we began to build that base, we found that food co-ops were very interested in what we were doing, and, mm. and those food co-ops were our first account. You bet. I can see that. In this community, I can see where that would happen. We, we were involved in bringing formal fair trade to the United States. So there, there were some predecessors who were working on fair trade issues ahead of us, but we really, through our association with IATP and, and the policy side of things, were the first to bring fair trade licensing to the United States and, and to bring that, that formal educational um, institution where we were trying to really get consumers to think about where coffee comes from, the principles of fair trade, um, and, and where they should be putting their money. All right. Now, this raises a question, which uh, comes up again and again when you start talking about fair wages. When people say, well, you know, you got to pay, pay people a fair wage, they've got to be able to make a living. 
very often the employer will say, "Hey, I can't afford to give people a fair, you know, uh, a living wage. It'll, it'll, you know, kill my business." Have you, Peace Coffee, been able to live the values of fair trade and be profitable? We have been. We have been. I, you know, the thing that I love about my job is that everything is very complicated. It's true. We exist in the center of a lot of tensions. And I think people who work in local food and people who are trying to create a better food economy are, are very familiar with this reality. There's no easy answer to any of this. I'll tell you a funny story. I got invited to go out to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago and speak um, to you know, lobby, basically, um, about raising the minimum wage. And everybody kept saying to me and through the course of all of these conversations, well, how do you do it? You know, how do you figure out how to, how to pay coffee farmers as much as you possibly can for their coffee and then try to employ people under good terms and then sell your product at a price that consumers feel that they can afford? And I said, you know, the reality is that you make less money. You just do make less money. Um, but but you feel better about what you're doing. So um, that's our approach is to try to manage all of these tensions and then to scale the company um, and, be, and be able to buy more coffee from coffee farmers because that's really what we're focused on doing. Okay, so your profit isn't necessarily taken in the way of money. It's, it's a well, different kind of bottom line. I, w- I mean, no, I am definitely held accountable to actually generating dollars that fall to the bottom line because the portion of our profits go back to the nonprofit that owns us and goes mm-hmm. to support their nonprofit work. So no, um, we don't measure profit differently. We measure profit in a variety of ways. So we're focused on a number of indicators. We're focused on how much coffee can we buy every year from coffee farmers. That's one. But then no, I'm, I'm told you have to drop a certain amount of money to the bottom line. So I, I, and I'm proud of that fact. Um, I'm proud of the fact that we figured out how to actually generate income, generate dollars, but then also have social impact. Got it. Well, if you've just joined us this morning, we are chatting with Lee Wallace, CEO of Peace Coffee, fair trade coffee company established and headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I believe that in the conventional coffee growing and processing uh, world, very often those large manufacturers, they buy their coffee from a broker. So how do, you, how do you kind of set up that entire new infrastructure? What is it that you do or what have you had to do in order to keep the business growing and doing well? So one really unique thing about our business model is that we own our own importing group. You buy coffee in shipping container lots. So these are 38 to 40,000 pounds of coffee in one shipping container. So as I mentioned, we bought our first container from Mexico or accidentally got our first container from Mexico. And our, our second buying relationship with, was with farmers in Guatemala. Mm. But as any small business knows, it's very hard to think about your growth in terms of these huge increments. Mm-hmm. And also, we had this real passion for being able to support as many, as many coffee farmers as possible. So in 1999, we came together with six other coffee companies and began to talk about the idea of being able to import directly and then share that coffee across all seven companies. So we founded our own importing group. It's a co-op, and it's a co-op that's based in the state of Minnesota, although we don't have staff here. We have staff elsewhere, and it's called Cooperative Coffee. And now that company is 
uh, collaboration between 22 coffee companies located across North America, all the way from the Yukon Territories down to the state of Florida. I'm listening to you, and I'm very excited. I, I am just so um, amazed at, at being able to reestablish or, or reinvent an infrastructure that can make this happen and to have it based on fair trade and, and great flavor. It's so powerful to have this vehicle to be able to go really deep with farmers and talk to them about what they need and what issues they're facing. I think many companies like Peace Coffee that are you know, focused on the consumer get so, um, that, that's, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to figure out how to sell more coffee. But then we've got this entire back end to our company that's holding meetings on a regular basis with coffee farmers from around the world and saying, what challenges are you facing right now? What are the big issues in coffee? What's going on in your field? How can we engage and really help support where you want to take your businesses? And we've established uh, mechanisms to actually support farmer research, to support farmer-to-farmer conversations, to su- support farmer collaboration. Um, so, so that that back end of our business is where there's just a lot of energy and excitement all the time. You started out 1996, 38,000 pounds of coffee. Can you give us any indication of how large your business is now? Absolutely. Last year we purchased 740,000 pounds from coffee farmers in 12 different countries, and we're supporting 20 co-ops in those 12 countries. Wow. Wow, that's, a, that's just a, a marvelous statistic. And, it, and it's not just numbers. It's about people and about how uh, people can make a living wage and how we connect with the same values all across, all across the world. Yeah, we do a variety of things to help people learn about coffee. Uh, one thing is that we have roastery tours on the weekend, so that's a good destination thing. If anybody's ever driving into the Twin Cities for the weekend, hop on our website, check out um, our, our education tab. Um, there's something under that that talks about training and tours. Um, and, you know, we'd love to have you come by the roastery. It's, it's not expensive to, to go on, on one of our roastery tours. Um, and then we also offer uh, Mastering Coffee at Home classes, and those are available on our website as well. So that's for people to, to just learn about how to brew a better coffee, cup of coffee at home. And then we have for coffee professionals, we offer a, a series of, of classes. They're called Barista Labs. Those are, are either for coffee drinkers who want to get really deep or for baristas. Well, those sound intriguing. One of the things I really have on my list of things to do, I hope within the next couple of months, is to go to a barista competition. I would those l- fun. I would love to see that. All right, so this is where you've been and where you are, and where you are right now. Lee, you know, you've been at the helm of Peace Coffee for 10 years. What's next? You know, what's next for us is, is continuing to deepen our expertise and continuing to partner with farmers at Origin. A big issue right now for coffee farmers is climate change, and we're, we're trying to learn more, and we're trying to divert as many resources as possible to help farmers deal with the impacts of climate change. And then we're really excited because as our issues become issues that coffee drinkers are interested in, it's just given us a lot of opportunity to expand um, and to get into stores throughout the upper Midwest. Um, our products are becoming more and more available. So you can now find Peace Coffee in Target stores, for example, or in Minnesota. Throughout Minnesota, we're available in Cub Food stores. Mm. This is really exciting for us because not everybody has access to a local food co-op. 
again, Lee, could you give us uh, the website that people can go to to find out more to, about your classes, your tours, and even recipes? That's right. Just head right over to peacecoffee.com. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.